Welcome to Meanwhile in Memphis, where New Memphis is celebrating our city by providing a weekly window into the ways Memphians are solving problems, looking forward, and successfully shaping the community. Good morning, Memphis. Welcome to your weekly episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. My name is Anna Mullins-Ellis. I am the president and CEO of New Memphis. Uh, I have to say Memphis so many times in my introductions, but all of our projects have Memphis in the name because we are a Memphis-focused nonprofit. Over at New Memphis, we help train and develop leaders for our city. We are working to make Memphis magnetic for talent. We are working to make Memphis a livable and a lovable community. Um, And we do that work in a lot of different ways. And one of them is hosting this radio show and podcast where we bring on amazing community leaders, entrepreneurs, um, those who are... Uh, leading in business, leading in government, leading in our nonprofits. Um, so every week we bring you a a healthy dose of information about what is making our community great and what is uh, and those who are working to make it better as we move forward. Um, so f- this week we have uh, two fabulous guests. Tamiko Wade Davis uh, from Pops Kernel will be with us. Uh, and then we will also get another visit from our uh, dear friend, April Childs Potter, over at the Greater Memphis Chamber. She is the chief marketing officer for the chamber and always comes with a wealth of knowledge about development, uh, economic development, physical development, news in the city. So without further ado, let's get started. So Tamika Wade Davis from Pops Kernel is an entrepreneur, a, a business runner. Yes. Um, this month we've been featuring local entrepreneurs, really calling out um, the you know what is challenging about that journey, why you've chosen Memphis. Um, so you were recommended by our good friend Cynthia Daniels. Yes. Uh, Tamika, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So first, just for the 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 listener who does not know what Pops Kernel is, tell us about your business. Pops Kernel is a gourmet popcorn nostalgic snack that you just have to have. <laughs> um, we are a small family-owned business, and um, we just love eating snacks. I'm a potato chip fanatic, and and I was like, you know what? I really need something that's going to be a little healthier for me, and um, just thinking about it and figuring out, let's try something else. And I'm originally from Chicago. I was born in Chicago, but at the best of both worlds because, yeah, my parents were not together. And my dad lives in Chicago. My mom lives here. So I would always go to Chicago for Christmas and summers and spend the rest majority of the time here in Memphis. So I had the best of having that Windy City feel and then Memphis together. So we decided to pair the two with making the best popcorn also here in Memphis and not just having, you know, one of the big conglomerates in Chicago. Yeah, I love that. So tell us what the what was the timeline from I've got this idea for a gourmet popcorn business to I now have this full-fledged business that I'm running. How long did that take? How did you end up? I always feel like it's a leap, right? Like at what moment did you have to like make the decision? Did you have to quit another job or, you know, how how did that happen and and what inspired you to do it? Well, um, the idea came about in 2012. So um, I am an entrepreneur at heart. Um, I've worked small businesses since I was 13, most of them being here in Memphis. Um, Some you may know with the Leach family and their family-owned restaurant. We're really good friends with them. But um, just having 
the the business itself is started from me having to shut down one of my other businesses. I owned a childcare business for 10 years and Memphis had this huge flood that came through in 2011. Mm. Um, the economy was not that good at the time too. So I ended up closing my business, lost my house to the flood. So I was without a job and without a home. Oh. And my family and I, my husband is he's a hard worker. So I was just trying to figure out what will be the next thing for me because I I like to work. Um I like to be creative and I needed something where I can continue to help bring in income for the family. Um just so happened I went to Chicago to visit my grandma January 2012 and still just thinking about what's going to be my next thing because you know the the childcare business was closed. So on my way home, I decided, I said, you know, I want to take something home to my family. You know, a little happy, something just to say, hey, I'm home and I'm bringing something from Chicago that's a part of me. And I just so happened to stop by Garrett's in two degree weather in January, stood in that line, bought some caramel popcorn, and I was riding the train home in my little cart, and I'm going, wow, I'm eating this popcorn. I'm like, what is it that I can do? And then it's like, I'm eating the popcorn, and I'm going, what is this I'm eating? Oh, my God, I could do this. So I'm examining the kernels. I'm looking at it, and I was like, oh, I could do this. I could do this. I wonder how they do this. So I – um I decided when I came home, I told my husband about my idea. And he looked at me. He was like, woman, you and these ideas. <laughs> so I um, I decided to buy some popcorn kernels from the local grocery store. And, you know, there's a difference between kernels. So this particular kernel was the butterfly kernels. It's what we all normally eat, a microwave kernel. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I um I microwave some popcorn and I looked at it and I said, this doesn't look the same of what I had. I wonder how what what did they do that was differently? Some of them looked uh, like it, but some didn't. So I told my husband, he was like, again, you and these ideas. I said, I want to make some caramel popcorn. So we looked up a recipe online and he made the very first batch of caramel popcorn. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this was in February. Um, we really just kind of muddled over the, the the idea, but it didn't really jump off until that November. November made 10 years of us being married. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, that was 2012. So we decided to have a party and we made, he made caramel popcorn. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is so good. This is so, so good. So when he made it, I was like, I think I could do this. He's like, <laughs> I, lo- I love your, not just the ambition, but you're like, <laughs> my, my next question was going to be, well, do you have a background in, you know, are you a chef or you're like, nope, nope, just no. had the, uh, <laughs> had no, the, not had at the, all. Um, confidence to say like, I can do that. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, everything that I've done before, 
when working in restaurants, but um, the childcare business was nothing to do with cooking, of course. <laughs> <I'm> not <laughs> raising little ones. We only cook the occasional child. Exactly. And um, I never had a desire to just really um, create something. It was just always, you get a cookbook, you make something. Boom, there it is. But with this one, it was totally different. Um, just getting the recipe and then seeing that it came out the way it's supposed to. But I wanted more. I, I wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be something that I could call my own, even though it's it's a basic recipe for the caramel. So, again, he made the very first batch, and, and I didn't push it anymore. I kept saying I wanted to do it, and he was like, well, you got to do it. I was like, well, show me what you did. No, you got to do it. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I took the reins. And so this was 2013, coming into, like, summertime. I decided to go ahead and make some popcorn for my son's birthday party, you know, giving it out to some of his friends. So I made the the caramel, but I was like, but, Garris, they have cheese. How do I make cheese popcorn, too? I didn't know where to get the cheese from to make the popcorn. So my bright idea was to go to the grocery store and buy 50 boxes of macaroni and cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And get the cheese, the the powdered cheese. Yeah, Yeah, the crap. So I was like, okay, so I'm opening up the boxes and I have this big bowl of cheese powder. And I'm like, how do I get it on the curls? (laughs) So, you know. In my head, I'm still trying, and and at the time, I'm looking up stuff online to look, but there was nothing there to do that with. So I had to be creative. I'm like, how do I get it on the kernels? There were so many different ways, of, and it was it was god awful. It was just not good at all. <laughs> but finally, I found a way to add oil and the the cheese powder together, and mixing it, uh-huh. and then putting it on there. And then my husband said, "Why don't you go through all of that with the the cheese powder? We could have just." ordered it from one of these big companies, and they have it. So we did. I didn't like the way it tasted. It it, <laughs> it, it, it just wasn't good. It wasn't the same of what I did. I was like, Kraft has per- like perfected the cheese dust. Yes! I don't know what they do to it, but it's addictive. Oh, my God. So after we did that, here it is, going into 2014. Another year had passed by, and I really wasn't just mastering it. I just kind of played with it a little bit. Somebody asked me for some, I would give it to them. I have, I, we attend um, a local church here in the city and they do a lot of mission trips. So we had friends that were going on a mission trip and they needed to raise funds for their mission trip. And they asked, hey, uh, could we do a fundraiser with your popcorn? Hmm. I was like, yeah, I was excited about that. So I made caramel and I made cheese for them to do. And then I thought about the cheese was just the base. I was like, oh, I can add hot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I like that every, it's all just like one little experiment after another. It, and it really was. With each flavor came about a different experiment. And, and at the time, I still didn't have a name. But once we started packaging and everything, and she was like, we, we, well, what do you want to call it? And I was like, I don't want to call it Tammy's Popcorn because that's my nickname. Um, and then I thought about my husband. My kids, they call him Pops. So I was like, oh, Colonel Pops? No, I don't like that. Pops Colonel. Yeah, that works. That works. So since he created the very first batch, 
that's what we named Aww, the business. Oh, I love that. Pops kernel. And yeah. it's, you know, pop, popcorn, pop kernel. I love it. Yeah, that's... exactly. So it's, it's just been, it actually didn't get greater and become bigger than what I was imagining it becoming until 2015 when I decided to do a mission trip myself. Uh, my son and I, he was going to um, South America, and so was I, and we decided to raise funds for our mission trip. And, oh, my God, I just did, did not see this happening. Our church ordered 1,400 bags of popcorn for a women's conference. And I was like, <laughs> who, uh, who can do that? You know, so this was something major because I'd never did anything on that magnitude before with the popcorn. I didn't know how long it would stay fresh. I There were so many things I just did not know because we were going from tubs to where, yeah, you put a lid on it and it's going to stay fresh into these little bags. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. So the night before the conference, <laughs> my husband... Myself, my two kids, my mother-in-law, my sisters-in-laws, two of them, a cousin. And we were, I mean, we the were. The definition of a family business. Oh, yeah. my God. We were popping all day and all night. Cause, and I was so tired. I was like, I don't want to see another kernel again. <laughs> 1,400 bags. And then on top of it, that was when we had to create our labels. And it was crazy. It was a madhouse. It was just popcorn everywhere. And I'm telling you, after that, all my, my relatives were like, don't ask me. <laughs> but not knowing that popcorn does fairly well, we could have took a whole week and taken mm -hmm. that time to do it. But it was, it was a fun experiment. We learned so much from it. And after then, I was like, you know, I think I need to get my license. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should get my license. And after... um. That particular one, that time went by, that was August 2015. Um, February of 2016, uh, I was still kind of mulling around, so I decided to go ahead and get a website. Um, wasn't so well with that, and I think it, the first time I met Cynthia was February of 2017. She was doing the Black Restaurant Weeks, and they had this event that was downtown at the, at the church, and I was like... I should I should sign up for this, you know, because I had I've been dibbling dabbling all year, just a little bit here, a little bit there. More birthday parties, some weddings, some this and that. I learned more things about the bags, how long they stay fresh in the bags. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. So uh, I signed up with Cynthia. She showed us our spot. It was cold that day. Uh, it was rainy. It was wet. I mean, it was freezing cold. And I had like a little over a thousand bags of popcorn. I didn't know how this was going to work. My husband was upset with me. Why do you make so much popcorn? This is your first time doing this event. I'm like, I know. I just, I just, I wanted to do it. So again, this was 2017. I had decided Christmas of 2016 because I was working a job, a part-time job, and I quit. And I was like, I can't do this in popcorn too. If I'm going to do popcorn, I'm going to devote my whole time and attention to it. So I quit my job. And everything just opened up. It was like a war when boom, all these events started happening. I didn't know what to expect from the events. So January I had did too. So when I decided to do 
Cynthia's that month. I had already did one a week before then, and I was a palping magnet. <laughs> I was <laughs> deathly tired. My children were like, please, please do. That's all we had to eat in the house was popcorn. There was no <laughs> I hadn't been grocery shopping. I hadn't been cooking meals or anything. And, of course, my husband, he's, he's a school teacher, by the way. He's like, I come home every day. I'm expecting at least some spaghetti and meatballs. And what I get? Popcorn kernels. <laughs> <laughs> I get shavings here and there. So the thing with, um, with Cynthia, oh, my God, it was an amazing day. Even though it was freezing rain, we was not expecting that many people to come out. I was like, okay, well, we'll just get some exposure. No way. What happened next, I was not expecting it. We were there a little over four hours, and within that time frame, we sold all of our popcorn bags except for maybe like 10 or 15 bags. A little over 1,000 bags within four hours. I was just shocked. Then here comes the social media. Everybody on social, have you heard of Pops Colonel? Have you heard of Pops Colonel? I mean, people were just tagging me because I had I had made a page, but I didn't have many followers. And it was like ping, 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 ping. I was like, what is this? Who are these people? I didn't know what was going on. And people were asking, they were like, how did you make it so good? I'm like, I don't know. I've just been playing with different stuff. And here you go. And on that day, I think I had probably about eight flavors. <laughs> I'm just still flabbergasted how it started. Uh, and then the next month, I had four events. So that was March. And then in, what was it, March? April. April, I had five. I, had, I did April in Arlington. It was just so many different things that was coming up. And my email was was just full with people asking, hey, you want to be a part of this event? You want to be a part of that? And I kept telling my husband, I want to do this. I want, And I was so tired. Just, just deathly tired. But last year was the craziest time. I cannot begin to imagine how or when it started. But when February hit and the pandemic started happening and everything started shutting down, I'll roll back just a little bit. We have started in 2018 and 2019 partnering with local businesses here to put the popcorn on the shelf because we don't have our own personal storefront. Mm -hmm. We use a commercial kitchen to create and make the popcorn. So to get it out to people who really wanted it, um, not just in one space or them ordering it online, we decided to partner with some local businesses here. And and what we did was we, we used one business in each area. So like we use Crave Sweets in Arlington. In Bartlett, there's Quintessual Sweets. In Cordova, there's um, Painted Tree Marketplace. In East Memphis, um, Germantown area, there's Docks, um, Wines and Spirits, mm. um, Chef Tams, um, Philip Ashley's, Trap Fusion. We do one in each area, so we're not flooding the market where there's someone next door to each other, but people can flock to those particular businesses, and most of them are small businesses, mm-hmm. um, and most of them are black-owned businesses. So we did that at the beginning of 2018 through 2019. We were constantly building and adding more of these small businesses to our um, our partnerships. So when 2020 came along, everything shut down. 
And that means when they shut down, we had no wells to sell our popcorn besides. And people knew that we had an online presence, but my website was horrible because <laughs> I just didn't know how to navigate all of that. And mm-hmm. we were so busy. So here it is, 2020, and I had to figure out a way to to pivot, to to make it happen, to continue to sell the popcorn. We were coming off a big event that Cynthia had just had in February. It was booming. We sold everything. And March, I did nothing. April, I just started making popcorn again. And mind you, to be honest, we I made it at home at the time because I was like, there was nowhere else to go. The mm-hmm. kitchen I was using, there, you couldn't go. Um, and then I used my church's kitchen on Fridays, just one day out the week. So I was like, I still need more time. So I would do a couple of days at home, and then I would do the Friday at church. My daughter, oh, God, my, my, I'm sorry, I keep okay. turning this off. I've turned it off several times. My daughter plays, not, it's not, it's rugby. She plays rugby. Hmm. And she also wanted to play lacrosse. So she had this lacrosse stick. We were at home and we were trying to figure out how to get the popcorn out to different people and still be able to social distance with our mask on. So she had this bright idea because it's at six <laughs> feet. Oh my God. So we we decided to go to different areas of town and people would place their orders online. They would pay for them and I would already have it packaged up just for them. So the first time we did, I think we did in Whitehaven. Um, we were out by the Southland Mall. We told people where we would be, and they just had to place the order. I'll make the order and bag it up and take it. So we were sitting in my truck. She gets out the truck, and we're like, how do we get it to them? So we had a crate first, and we would put the bag on the crate, and people would jump out the car and get it from there. Then she finally decided to take the stick. <laughs> she takes the stick. She puts the bag on the end of the stick. And it's hanging there, and she puts her arm in the cup of the little basket of the lacrosse stick, and she just hands it out to him. And all I had to do was just reach and grab. I was like, perfect. True innovation. True innovation. Oh, my God. That was our way. We, we, so we, we did that for about five weeks. We would, we would tell people where we would be on Tuesday, on Thursday, every other day. And, and then Saturday, we'll end up in Cordova because all my places were shut down. So I had to figure out a way to continue to sell and get it out there. And it worked. It was so amazing. And then people started realizing, huh, I don't even have to do that. I'll just go online and order and you can ship it to me. Boom. Shipping started. Then in um, June 2020 hit. And I was getting ready to go and do something with my good friend, um, Jennifer Parnell, who owns September Nails. So I'm, I'm going to go and get my nails done. And I wake up that morning and I look at my phone. I turn my phone on and all I hear is ping, 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 ping. I'm like, what is going on? I get all these orders. And then I'm looking at my website and everything is going sold out, sold out, sold out. So I'm like, what happened overnight that I don't understand? I don't know. And I told Jennifer, and I was going to um, cancel my day at the spa. She said, no, go ahead and do your day at the spa. We'll figure this out later. So I did my day, and I'm still in my mind. I'm going, 
why are all these people ordering? And I saw orders from California, New York, Canada. I'm like, who are these people? I don't know these people at all. So I give back from the, my day at the spa, and I'm sitting in the truck in front of the house, and Jennifer goes, oh, you didn't see the article. I said, what article? <laughs> she said, the article on HuffPost. HuffPost? <laughs> I don't know anybody from HuffPost. She said, you didn't do an interview? I said, no, I did not. It was Cynthia. Cynthia uh-huh. did. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, she did an interview with HuffPost, and I think she mentioned me, and she also mentioned Philip with the chocolates. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I had to go to the article, and clear as day, there it was. You know, if you want to try some popcorn from a black-owned business, this is the one to go to. Oh, my God. I was just, like, flabbergasted. I had to call Cynthia. You didn't tell me. I was not ready. I was not prepared, but it did not matter. They went online, and they ordered everything I had. Wow. So for the next week, I was just full. I I couldn't do my outside stuff that I had been doing locally. I had to focus in on those orders that came in. This was a week before Juneteenth. Mm. Then she did her online Mm -hmm. shopping event with Juneteenth. I'm telling you, I think for the whole month of June and July, I did not sleep. (laughs) And it's all Cynthia's fault. (laughs) Yes, it is. So, of course, um, I I couldn't do popcorn at home. So I had to ask, you know, can I get more time? I think I spent so much time at my church's um, commercial kitchen. It was like I just lived there. I may as well just, you know, put a bed in the freezer. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just here making popcorn, and and my son, of course, um, he was helping me and my daughter because it's summertime, and we're they're just a little bagging, 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 constantly bagging. So, and my husband too because he was out of school. <laughs> right. <laughs> then we get these these outrageous orders for movie premieres. The first one came in at, good lord. The first one came in at 200,000 bags. <laughs> I'm telling you, I I don't know how or when they decided, oh, we're going to use this company. And we want 200,000 bags. But I was like, huh? First they you wanted, pull your kids out of school. You're like, all right, everybody. <laughs> no, no, this was this was still in July. I'm still working on all these other orders as because as people are, are receiving their popcorn, they're telling their friends. Yeah, and then more of them are ordering. I love to support a black-owned business. The lady from Canada, she was like, so this what this old white lady from Canada loves her black-owned business. <laughs> this is this is a message she sent to me, and she's like, oh my god, I told all my friends about you. Then I started getting more orders from from Can- and from Alaska. So the two hundred thousand bags came about. There was an event that the Black Panther guy, I should know his name. <laughs> my brain is in a fog right now, but. <laughs> He was doing a drive-in movie event premiere for his VIP friends and then for the general public afterwards. So he wanted popcorn from a black-owned business. I had to say no. It was just too much. I could not. I wanted to say yes so bad. And actually, I did say yes, but my husband's a lot. 
<laughs> my husband was like, baby, <sighs> I don't think we can do this. <laughs> so I had sent them samples. They loved the samples. They they did go with someone that was a little bit closer because it was in California. But that didn't stop. 2020, I did four movie premieres through Amazon, California, and one movie, um, Lifetime movie. Wow. They're all VIP. Everybody received bags of popcorn in a VIP box that they created. Um, I'm currently working on one secret one now. I have two that I'm, I'm doing. And they're all in California. And I'm like... I'm I'm just in awe of how many people are Christmas. Even now, January is normally a slow month for us. It did not stop. It did not stop in February. Even during this snowmageddon that we've had here, I put it on my website. It's it's right now. It's hard to get things out because of you know the shipping, and then the water. And it, it, it didn't matter. They're still ordering. <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> Well, what a journey. It, in some ways, I want to feel sorry for you because you sound tired, but also, like, you've been very successful. I'm very eager to try my popcorn. It's like the popcorn of the stars now. It's like <sighs> yes, very it excited to test it out. Well, for anybody listening who would like to add to your misery and order some popcorn, where can they go? So our website, of course, is www.pops.com. Colonel.com. Colonel is spelled K-E-R-N-E-L. That's the website you can order from, and we ship all over. Then, of course, the places here in the city. I, I mentioned them earlier. Um, you have Arlington, Crave. Um, what did I say? Uh, Bartlett. Bartlett, yes. Quintessual Suites, Cordova, Painted Tree, marketplace also in cordova there's trap fusion um so a little small um, black-owned restaurant off of germantown and then you have germantown itself the hampton inn on germantown parkway um docks wines and spirits off of poplar um there's also the other hampton inn on poplar um closer to the e-way um then there's chef tam um, she's downtown, midtown area. Um, and I think Philip is selling his online, Philip Ashley. And I'm hope. Oh, and then there's Trap Fusion in Whitehaven. That's right. That's right. Yes. Oh well, go get your popcorn. Again, this was Tamiko Wade Davis from Pops Colonel. Tamiko, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, back in the studio with us today is our good friend from the chamber, April Childs Potter. April is the chief marketing officer at the Greater Memphis Chamber and comes to us every every few weeks with some gems from their work at the chamber. So welcome back, April. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for braving it uh, out there today. Um, you know, my my first and overarching question is what's going on at the chamber? Well, as per usual, Anna, we have so many things going on. Uh, I think everyone is um, really getting in the swing of 2021. Um, January was a lot of planning. February has really started to execute a lot of uh, new initiatives and activities. Um, one that I think is really personally exciting to me is 
that with Ted Townsend, our new uh, chief economic development officer, uh, we have really begun to revamp our economic development program, particularly focusing on building that quality job pipeline. So we have a lot of big projects coming out, some great um, proactive marketing work to help position Memphis for those high-end jobs and investments that our community wants to see. A lot of workforce connections being made through our upskill program to make sure that we've got a good talent pipeline to fill those jobs of the future. So that's work that's been in the planning phase for a long time that we're really starting to see the first steps um, of that come to fruition. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Who would you say are the key partners, you know, as we talk about both, as you said, the the opportunities, so the creation of the jobs, which I know is a core function of the chamber, um, but also the training that goes into equipping the workforce to um, be prepared for those jobs. So I assume that you guys aren't doing that work hands-on, but that you're working with specific partners to do um, skills training. Is that am I, am I accurate in this assumption? Absolutely. Economic development is a team sport, and workforce is the key component of that. And so we have to work. We absolutely need all of our both. There's the service partners that provide individual services, wraparound services to individuals who are seeking employment and maybe need additional support. So there's a whole slew of partners that do that type of work, uh, agape, um, many, many more. I'm not going to start naming them because I won't leave someone out. But then we have educational and training partners. And what we're really trying to do um, you know, working in partnership with many organizations is to make sure that we have job opportunities in these industries, these anchor industries, or you'll hear me call them cluster industries, that we have opportunities for people up and down the experience spectrum. So what you really want to see is what we call opportunity jobs, which mean they may be a, a part-time or an entry, a gateway job into an industry, but that job, if it's an opportunity job, is a rung on a ladder to a high quality job. And so as we work to grow the industries that have that full spectrum of jobs, we work with training partners at every at every level, from Shelby County Schools uh, to, to more tech, to Southwest Community College and, and many others, as well as our four-year degree program partners. So there's a whole slew of people that are engaged in the workforce development piece of the economic development conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, um, you know, particularly as it aligns with our work at New Memphis, so important to have that spectrum, as you said, of of uh, experience level. So we're not just building jobs for somebody who has, you know, a college education and 10 years of experience, but we're also not just building jobs for those who are currently unemployed and unskilled and sort of have to take that first step into the workforce. You talked a little bit about um, these clusters. So um, for the layman who's listening, I know the chamber, uh, along with partners, did a lot of research to determine what are the what are the most robust industries in Memphis that are both currently thriving, but also have lot, lots of growth opportunity. Um, so tell us what, you know, you could look out at the Memphis community and perhaps glean what some of these what some of these industries are, but what are those clusters? So when we're talking about clusters, um, this work started about two and a half years ago. The city edge epicenter. Um, I'm leaving people out. The city <laughs> edge epicenter. The chamber, people. Memphis tomorrow. Several other entities came together and worked with a national consulting firm called Mass Economics to help us figure out the answer to that question. 
not just what are we, what are the industries that anchor us today, but where are some areas where we have several assets that we could better link together and support to help build a more diverse economy? It's no secret. Our economy is heavily um, reliant on transportation distribution logistics that will always be an anchor to our uh, to our industry mix. But it's also a mechanism industry, right? So it's not just that logistics is an industry. It's also a competitive advantage because we have this logistics footprint. So there are certain other industries like medical device or agriculture that can benefit from that transportation distribution logistics sector. But we want to look at how we can uh, leverage those existing assets and start to transition them into a more diverse economy so that we've got more opportunities for jobs uh, and that we can also influence some uh, increase in wages. And so the industries that we've looked at um, and that came out of that study were what we call TDL, transportation, distribution, and logistics, a little bit of a tech focus. Medical innovation, we actually started to call it medical medical and healthcare innovation. Music and music technology, which is a really big one because uh, when we have tourists, <laughs> I know mm. we've got a few trickling in and out, um, but when we when tourism is up and running, we were just past the 1 million average tourists per month mark in Memphis. And wow. so that's a huge industry for us. Uh, and it's really driven by our musical heritage. How can we leverage that into a musical future? So that's a, a key one. Um, agriculture, agribusiness, and agrotechnology is another. Uh, B2B, which you'll hear us talk about a lot now, this idea of, of businesses that support one another and then businesses that support those key industries. So B2B endeavors business to business companies that may support transportation, distribution, logistics, or medical innovation, or, or many of those others. Uh, and then I'm leaving someone out. Um, and then, of course, the corporate services. So that's your mm-hmm. headquarters and things like that. And then manufacturing will always be a component of that. But what you've seen over the last decade is that Regions have gotten smarter about specialization, and so that's what we're trying to build. We want to be known as a logistics center for sure because that's a competitive advantage, but we want to build more um, more uh, location density of other types of industries. If you look at uh, places like Nashville, for example, we're good friends in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've really become well-known for healthcare mm-hmm. um, and, and insurance-related uh, work. When you've got clusters of companies like that together, it's a lot easier to retain workers because you build a base of them. Mm. And one of the key things with this strategy is um, not only getting smarter about what we're trying to recruit and support, but working with those educational and training partners and making sure that they're fulfilling the talent pipeline for those needs. And what I mean by that is, is not just are we educating people, but for example, we know that Um, In just our logistics technology sector, we have tremendous opportunity to fill talent gaps up and down that spectrum. So it could be anywhere from someone coming out of a Shelby County School um, College and Career Technical Education Program to step into a computer science role, an entry level, no advanced degree required. We have those positions available um, all the way up to someone with a a more advanced IT training program. or or, uh, degree. What we want to do is make sure that we understand the volume of graduate output we really need or training output or talent output specifically with these skills to match with these target industries. What that does is it makes it more apparent to a company that's either looking to expand a location that they already have here or looking to relocate 
that our market can specifically fill that type of talent. And mm -hmm. I think over the next year, you'll hear us talk about that a lot. We have great, great talent here. We just want to work on making sure that we've got great talent that's aimed in the right direction, that we're educating and training people for the types of opportunities that are going to be most uh, lucrative for them in the future. Yeah, that's so thoughtful. And, you know, when we think about the scarcity of resources and making sure that all of the infrastructure that we're building to support economic development is is getting the most bang for our buck, um, being able to, as you said, sort of focus on particular industries to both develop the talent. So you're building programs that have that are training people for the outputs that you need. Um, but I also think about um, the entrepreneurial eco ecosystem and um you know, when you look at these clusters of businesses and how they've worked in other cities, actually Nashville is a great example. Um, when you have one large company that does something in healthcare, inevitably you're going to have leaders in that company start to to carve off their own, like to go out and start something of their own within that same industry. So to see that either in me medical device or in agricultural innovation and to know that we have you know, the networks that Epicenter and others are building to say, hey, if you're, um, you know, if you're an entrepreneur in agriculture, we have specific resources just for you. We have access to, um, you know, executives who have experience who can mentor you. We have access to um, investors who understand the work that you're doing and like can understand the value proposition. So I do think that it is sort of a virtuous cycle because it's not that we're not open to other industries here in Memphis, please, if you're listening, join us in Memphis with whatever business you have. Um, but I do think that it makes the work that you guys do um, more streamlined. And I think, again, we're just using our resources more effectively. So that's all very exciting. And um, we've had a focus this, this last um, month or so on entrepreneurs. Um, we have uh, we've convened a couple of events where we've put together panels of entrepreneurs and just talking about innovation in Memphis. And I think it's so interesting to see, um, you know, whether it's food entrepreneurs, just sort of a, you know, every, every I think, successful community has a sort of bubbling um, group of kind of business owners who are interested in serving in the food space. But to see entrepreneurs, again, in ag tech and logistics in um in medical device um, to see these sort of smaller startups really want to be here, not just because they have a heart for Memphis, although most of them do, but because they have access to resources that they wouldn't have elsewhere. Um, Absolutely. You've seen Memphis has done a really great job. I, I keep you, I say this every time I'm here, you can't sleep on us right now. We are, um, we have so many things running and moving in the right direction. It's really exciting to see it all start to come to fruition. Mm -hmm. But from an entrepreneurial perspective, you have Ag Launch supporting those ag entrepreneurs. You have Zero to 510, which is the medical device incubator, supporting that group. You're seeing the U University of Memphis start to stand up some um, really ag-specific support um, initiatives. Southwest has launched some international um, credentialing programs that can allow someone who's maybe a package handler to go through an eight- or ten-week program and get this advanced international um, credentialing to help them uh, advance to another level of the logistics and supply chain role that's more lucrative. So getting that network to work together is really powerful. And then the other thing that happens is you start to see what I call force multiplier strategies. That's not like an April time, <laughs> something other people Sounds use as well. Sounds pretty April. Tell me more about it. Right. But when you see um, some tech, when we start to see tech operations grow across our key industries, that also shows a density of tech talent in our market. So we're trying to be strategic about making sure that we're infusing our, our big anchor industries with that tech piece because mm. it's the easiest place to do it. 
And then we we suddenly start to see this this sort of overflow effect of we've now got a volume of tech talent output. And that's really critical for all of the advanced industries that beyond just the six or seven that we're focused on now, as we continue to grow and diversify our economy, that tech talent is going to be a critical component. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I hear that a lot from from companies that they're they're either trying to import tech talent um, or they're considering moving their like the tech part of their operations elsewhere, which is obviously very frustrating for us. Um, because, you know, I think one thing that we don't acknowledge a lot when we're talking about workforce development in particular is that the the runway is actually pretty short. You know, when I mean, obviously, most of these economic development efforts are years, if not decades in the making. Um, but to know that we have, there are students who are enrolled at the University of Memphis today or at Southwest or uh, CBU or Lemoyne-Owen or any of these other institutions, and they're they're looking for a career today to start in three to five years, mm-hmm. right? Um, and to know that if you were able to communicate directly with, with those institutions and with those individuals to say, we need somebody who has... <laughs> Whenever I talk about tech, I think um, it becomes very clear to whoever's listening to me that I don't know anything about tech. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, we need coders, we but need also, like, uh, yeah, we got to have some clackety clacks. Like, who are, <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what it is we need to teach them, but somebody does. Um, but I think that's when I talk to an employer, like three three years is such a short time frame, right? Like, there's so there's so much opportunity if they're willing to sort of go rather than build a whole other satellite office in Colorado so you can have access to tech talent. I'm like, why don't you go to the University of Memphis and talk to them about the specific talent needs that you have, get students excited about getting a job at your company, host them for an internship next year and the year after, and they're going to be walking in your door with all the skills that you need. And again, it doesn't feel like the time frame for that feels really achievable in a way that I get really frustrated again when I hear about companies saying, well, we're going to have to yeah. have our you know tech offices down in Texas. And I'm like, you really don't. Well, <laughs> I, I, think, I do think there are a lot of misperceptions. I'm going to do a, you, one day I'm going to on the podcast just do like misperceptions about, you know, <laughs> that, that would actually be a great theme of an yeah. episode. Just- and this is one I think that, you know, people don't recognize that um, just like economic development is a, a, a team sport. It's also a highly competitive sport. Mm. And so, um, you know, you can't see this on the podcast, but <laughs> we, you know, when we're being considered for a project, even, you know, an existing company like FedEx, if they're looking to expand their IT uh, operations here, they've got a set of requirements just like you do when you're looking for a house. Mm. And so if their minimum requirement for graduate app for the types of positions they know they're going to hire. Let's say they need to hire 120 uh, of these tech-related positions, and maybe they're going to do 60 new annually. They have to look at our market compared to other markets and make sure that we can deliver that talent output. Because we are a smaller market, that's always going to be challenging for us. It's a lot easier, even, you know, for Nashville, for example, just because of the, not just the influx of people, but the volume of output from their universities. Yeah. Just that we're playing a numbers game. And so it's really important that we're making sure that we're making those investments and great partners like Tech 901 and Code Crew are helping with that. We just have to do a a really strong job of making sure we're putting that information out there. Because a lot of times, I mean, there's a funnel when it comes to jobs. And this happens, again, I think people don't recognize we're competing for the jobs we have currently every single day to keep those. Yeah. And so when you have a company here looking to expand or they need different types of talent, they're going through that competitive analysis process. And regardless of 
you know, the, the any other factor, if our market can't deliver that on paper, especially if they're not already here, it's really hard for us to even get a look. There's so many projects that we aren't considered for because we don't have the specific demand output. Uh, we can't, the supply output to mm. meet that demand. And so just working to make sure, so we're working backwards from that. We're trying to understand the types of operations we want to grow and keep and then figure out what those talent pipelines look like and make sure that we're delivering those numbers. And if we're not, figuring out how we can better tell that story or we can better you know, uh, add to that supply with partners that, that do other things. But yeah, I think that's a really important thing for people to understand. It's um, everybody has a great city. Everybody has great amenities. I'm very partial to this city. I love it so much. If someone's not here, they don't it's sort of some of those things are all equal. So we this is why we're trying to be more strategic and, and more streamlined in how we sort of deliver the type of talent in our market so that we sort of know what we're aiming at. Mm. No, that's such a great point. And yeah, I mean, I think we're constantly saying in New Memphis that uh, especially more educated talent, they have so much choice, um, particularly young talent, because they're not necessarily like anchored in Memphis by owning a home or having a spouse or kids in school. And so um, the siren song of these other cities is strong and it, they are being aggressive in um, recruiting our talent away. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about talent recruitment, which is important, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm always sort of beating the drum that we also can't fill a leaky bucket. So if we're not sticky enough to keep the talent that we have here, whether they're a 19-year-old at the U of M and they're already thinking, as soon as I get my degree, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to, you know, Atlanta, St. Louis, Austin, you know, any of these sort of even regional cities that have a, a pretty strong pull. Um, and I think that's that's important that we really intercept that talent before they start to plot their career elsewhere, before they plan to, you know, they go and do their internship in Dallas. And then, you know, they've already got their foothold there. They're building that network there. And I think that's you know, I, I, Richard Smith helped sort of um, click this in my mind a couple of years ago when we were talking about the power of the HR department and how, as you said, when a company's deciding where they're going to either, you know, move their headquarters or, or um, begin their headquarters or considering opening a, a satellite office, they have a list of demands. And at this point, the demands of the HR department are at the top of the list and are far more weighted than infrastructure or um uh, tax incentives or any of these other things that communities are throwing at companies to try and incentivize them to come here. It is truly the HR leaders who say, this is the talent that we need. And if we can't find this talent and if we can't keep that talent, then it's a no-go. And I think, um, you know, of course, New Memphis uses that as like the sort of pitch <laughs> to, yeah. um, for our support because we know it's important. Um, but I think, it again, it's both being able to have access to the talent you need, but also hopefully keeping that talent. And I think you said this really perfectly because I'm also, for companies, for individual companies, we hear a lot um, because we work with young professionals um, in, in parts of our work that they don't want that young professional to to have access to other companies. So, you know, in a, in a New Memphis class, we have, you know, 30 young people who are doing 30 different things at 30 different companies. And that that gives certain companies a little bit of heartburn because they're like, well, I don't want my AutoZoner to go and interact with this international paper person and then decide that they want their job there. And I'm like, no, that's the absolute wrong mentality because it is a pool. And this idea that somebody is going to start their career at 25 at 
AutoZone and finish their career there is unfortunately not typically the case. Um, but if, if we're able to keep that talent in the region and they ping back from AutoZone to ALSAC to FedEx, it's enriching the entire talent pool rather than have that, you know, and I think, you know, I, I'm always saying the, this, the research shows us that a 20-something with a college degree, their average tenure at any company is like 2.8 years. Like that's just how long they want to stay. Like that's the kind of economy that we live in now where they feel like they have to make a leap to sort of grow in their career. And wouldn't it be great if that leap happened within a local company <laughs> so that maybe one day they ping back yeah. to AutoZone and maybe 10 years into their career they take a new position. So I think it's interesting the way that we, you know, workforce has evolved in such a way that it, it's not the same model that it was even 20 or 30 years ago. And I think it's important for companies and our economic development strategies to evolve along with that. Yeah. I think we're seeing some improvement in that. I mean, it, it just, again, it's a numbers game. I think what, I think you have less heartburn about that individual, that high talent individual that probably cost a lot to recruit and mm -hmm. get in their position. You have less anxiety about that if you're an employer when we've got that volume of individuals. And so, you know, there's just, there's a, there's a volume we must hit. And I think you hear, you hear Richard Smith, we always reference him. He's sort of like the, <laughs> like the godfather of economic development um, it's, it's discussion in, in many ways around this type of thing, because uh, there's a lot of lack of understanding, I think, from the public about um, why we need to grow, like why it's really important to grow the region. And it gets back to this talent question that, we have three Fortune 500 companies here. We have some big employers. And in order for them to stay here, they've got to have that pipeline of talent. And it's very expensive for a company like St. Jude or FedEx or International Paper or AutoZone or Terminex to recruit someone from another market and bring them back and then lose them and then have to start that process mm. over. And so the more we can... One, attract high volumes of, of individuals that can crosswalk within the same market so we aren't losing that volume of talent, the better off that, that we can be. It is absolutely crucial. You said this earlier, and I cannot agree more. We have to find a way to be sticky enough to keep our talent, and quality job creation is a critical part of that. Mm. If we know, if 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 we know as individuals, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not young talent anymore, <laughs> but um, let's pretend 10 years ago. Um, if I know that I can move in my industry from place to place and have a quality, appropriately paying opportunity continue to grow up the ladder, then I'm going to be satisfied in the market. But no matter how much you love a market, if that opportunity doesn't exist, that siren song somewhere else is going to not even, it, it's just not even an option. You're going to have to mm -hmm. go where you can find that. So no, that's, that's it's really point. critical that we're able to do that work. And I think that that we've certainly you know, begun to, and, and we've always been a, a strong market. I think this new strategy is helping. Um, I think having the partnerships that we have in place, both on the workforce side and the um, talent attraction or the business recruitment and expansion side is, is going to help with that. But it is everybody pulling in the same direction. And because we are a smaller challenger market, we've got to do things, I think, um, more focused, more strategic, get all the boats rowing in the same direction. That's something Willie Gregory, our, our chair, likes to say, get all the ships moving in the right direction. And I think you're seeing a lot more of that. And with pre-COVID, that was the case. Yeah. In a post-COVID or a COVID forward <laughs> environment, that strategic approach where we're all pulling in the same direction is going to be more critical than ever. Mm. 
Well, I've appreciated the conversation. I don't want to soak up all. We'll have you back soon. Um, I feel like I could talk to you for hours about this. Um, but before I let you go, is there anything else coming up in the next, you know, in March or April at the chamber that you want to plug or that you want to make sure people are aware of? So there's some great things happening with our Small Business Council. They are working on a resiliency handbook that is, is really fantastic. There's lots of programming coming up around that. So that's something to check out on our social media feeds. Uh, we do continue to meet with all of our workforce partners. And we are launching our new um, round of um, YP Council. It is now just called YP Council, not sound check. Yeah. Um, YP Council um, events. So check those out as well. And we just named a new board there. So lots I saw of great that. new Yeah, leadership. one of our, our our dear Nora Murray is serving on that board. So well, thank you for letting her. No, she's her she's a star. Yeah. Don't take like. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of great talent, <laughs> hands off. Um, well, that's all excellent. Um, well, as I said, we will have you back in a in a couple of weeks. Um, so keep the good news coming. Um, thank you, April, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great week. You too. All right, Memphis, that does it for this week's episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. Next week, my uh, fearless teammate, Christy Mullen, will be back. So I will not be flying solo once again, which I'm sure you're all very grateful for. Um, again, this is uh, Meanwhile in Memphis. We bring you this from New Memphis. Uh, we're a local nonprofit. We hope that you check out the rest of our work. Uh, you can learn more at newmemphis.org. If you liked what you heard today, I promise there is a lot more of content like this, content that is showcasing, um, again, who is shaping our city for the better, who is leading with uh, innovation and passion in our community. So you can also follow us uh, across social media. Follow us on Instagram. At the New Memphis is our handle. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Across our social pages, we share great ways for you to get involved with your community, opportunities to mentor, upcoming events. Um, again, any way that we can celebrate what is making Memphis great. Um, so don't take my word for it. Head over to our Instagram and see for yourself. Um, I would also be remiss if I did not mention that New Memphis is a nonprofit once again, which means we rely on the generosity and support of our community to continue doing the work that we do. Um, our mission is around developing, activating, retaining talent for a more prosperous Memphis. Um, that may not sound like it resonates for you, but what it means is we need great leaders in every corner of our community. Um, again, leading from our from, from our boardrooms, from our classrooms, to our nonprofits. Um, we need folks leading in government. So we have our hand in all of those spaces, making sure that we are equipping, empowering, and connecting leaders to do great work for Memphis. Doing this work that we did today to make sure that we're just helping be a, uh, a megaphone for all of the news of progress and success that's happening across our city. So what I would ask of you today is consider if this is work that's valuable to you, and I would love for you to consider making a donation to New Memphis. Again, you can go to newmemphis.org backslash donate to easily make a safe and secure online donation. We would appreciate it. Again, um, every, every, every dollar counts, so we appreciate gifts of all sizes. Uh, and then we would also like, uh, if you don't have uh, money to give us today, we also would love for you to give us your ideas. So if you liked what you heard, please consider calling in to leave us a voicemail to let us know. Um, which interviews did you really enjoy? Did you learn something new about our great city? That is helpful feedback. It keeps us going. Um, but we also want to get your suggestions. So if you have ideas on who should be our next guest, uh, what we should be focusing on, what we should spotlight, we would love to hear from you. Just call 901 460 3031. 
One more time, that's 901-460-3031. Leave us a voicemail. We'd love to play it on the air. You can also shoot us an email at info, I-N-F-O, at newmemphis.org. All right, have a great week, Memphis. We will see you next week. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you in partnership with WYXR. Produced by New Memphis and hosted by Anna Mullins Ellis and Christy Mullen. For more information, please visit newmemphis.org. Audio for this show is recorded and produced by the OAM Network. For more information, please visit pod901.com.